Welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on. And it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, joining me today is my brother from another mother, my literal, the, the man whose events I enjoy playing in more than anyone else on the planet, a, a regular guest on this show, and an all-around rad dude and provider of great resources for the community, my close friend, Peter West. Welcome back to Cast Dice. How you doing, my friend? Very good, thanks, Brad. I'm always blown away by your intros, but thank you very much. Well, I mean, you are the longtime TO of CanCon. Clearly, you haven't run it in the last couple of years, but spoilers, you're coming out of retirement. The big man's back. Oh, I, I feel like singing, uh, what was that? Hey, uh, hey, uh, <laughs> Pete West's back. Uh, I can't, yep. I, I'm so excited. The, I'm so sad I can't actually, I'm going to be out of Australia, weirdly. Uh, I, I'm not going to be able to make this event. But you are running WinterCon this year, which is, of course, sort of the alternate mid-year bookend for CanCon. Now, CanCon, for those who don't know, is Australia's largest bolt-action event. Has always been uh, sort of traditionally the big show, so to speak. And you TO'd that for years. But sort of halfway through the year, we have WinterCon, which is the, it's a smaller event, but it is still run usually as sort of the dry run of rules for CanCon, at least when you ran it. But you're back and you're going to run WinterCon this year. I'm so excited to hear. And the player pack looks great, man. What what made you decide to run that? Uh, well, I wish I could say it was some sort of high-minded ideals, but um, it kind of boiled down to the fact that uh, there wasn't anyone else who was sticking their hand up. And um, the last thing I would ever want to see is a WinterCon without some bolt action. So right. I decided I need to come out of retirement and make it happen. Well, man, I'm so glad that you did that. Now... We are talking WinterCon, which is, of course, in Canberra, and it is the 16th and 17th of July this year. Now, it is in the traditional uh, CanCon venue of Epic, right? Yeah, that's correct. Now, where can people find the registry information of this uh, while we are talking through it today? I mean, besides going to your website, Bolt Alt Action, and going to the menu and finding WinterCon 2022, um, which is one of the tabs, which has the player pack, which I'll be looking at today, where can people register for this? Because traditionally, you have to register through uh, the convention itself. Yeah, like um, CanCon, WinterCon is run by the Canberra Gaming Society, CGS. So if you type um, WinterCon CGS, uh, you should have no trouble finding it. And there's a page there for online registrations. Um, we've got uh, 26 spots. And last time I checked, um, 11 of them have been taken. So, um, yeah, jump in if you'd like to play. Brilliant. Well, let's let's talk to people about what is in the player pack uh, and maybe we can talk about some of your choices about what you are expecting uh, so people can either get excited about what is going to happen or, you know, they can find out, oh, yeah, this is something that I would be interested in. This is a five-game event. It's a two-day event. So we have Saturday the 16th. I said that before. And there are three games that day. And on Sunday the 17th, we have two games. We have five missions that will be run through that. We have Sectors, Punch-Through, which is one of the new beta Bolt Action Alliance missions. We have Point Defense uh, as the last game of that day. Uh, we have Supply Drop, which is, again, the other Bolt Action Alliance 2022 playtest mission. And we have Meeting Engagement. Now, some of these are clearly objective missions, and some of them are kill point missions. What made you choose these missions as the ones that you wanted your players to play through this weekend? Well, as you sort of said at the top, I like to use WinterCon to 
you know, test out something different. Um, so I thought it was another good opportunity to try those two new missions that you have dropped, Punch Through and Supply Drop. Um, they both looked really interesting and give players something new to have a bash at. Um, and the other ones, I always like to have a mix of um, uh, competitive scenarios. So the first six with the um, attacker defender scenarios, just because, um, as you know, the way the lists are set up, some of the lists only have um, special rules that come into effect during the attacker defender scenarios. So mm-hmm. I like to have a, a good balance of both so that players get um, every opportunity to sort of fully um, test out their armies and what they've built. So there's three attacker defender missions and two um, of the competitive missions. Yeah, exactly. Now, I, I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit here uh, just from the author of those two missions standpoint. I actually have not recorded an episode of Cast Dice in over a month. Uh, I recorded quite a few at, at once around uh, my school holidays. This term has been crazy, and I knew that going in which is why I recorded a ton during the school holidays, which meant that this is actually the first episode I've recorded after the Easter event that Lee and I ran over a month ago. And that we also ran Punch Through and uh, Supply Drop. And I have to say that the feedback from players was overwhelmingly good. There are a few typos. I'm sorry. (laughs) I've talked to Pete about what those are. Uh, so if you are playing on the day, uh, he'll be able to help you out. Um, once we actually publish the missions in full, they will be fixed. Um, we are just uh, looking for final playtest uh, information. But at this point, it looks like the rules themselves aren't going to change much, the missions, um, just maybe a few wording uh, issues here and there. But uh, it's really exciting to see you using these. Uh, I know a few people overseas has, have been playing with them as well. So, guys, if you are looking for these two missions, you can either find them on the Bolt Action Alliance Facebook page, you can find them in the Cast Dice Facebook page, or you can contact Cast Dice, and I can send you the PDFs for Supply Drop and Punch Through, which will be two of the missions as part of the 2022 mission pack for Bolt Action. Um, I just want to make sure that these are properly playtested before we actually publish them in full, and we are still in the early playtesting phases. Eh for the other missions. Uh, Pete, let's talk about the other bits and pieces for this event, though. No tank platoons. Special characters and cameramen, thankfully, are not going to be used. And we will be using, obviously, the most up-to-date FAQ and errata document from Warlords. Now, what's cool here is that you're allowing the Ethiopian, the Dutch, and the Bulgarian lists from BoltAltAction.com, your website, for this event, which is cool. Let's talk about some of the other event. I don't want to say special rules, but you know some of the expectations. Um, there are, yep. there is no preliminary bombardment in this event. Now, that's interesting. I have gotten a couple. Of messages this week literally from players who have been playtesting punch through and supply drop who have been saying why don't they have preliminary bombardment i know why i didn't include them in those missions but pete why are you saying no preliminary bombardment for this event is it because it leads to feel bads yeah i think that's the main reason um previously i've had it um so that if one person gets a preliminary bombardment, both people get the preliminary bombardment. Mm-hmm. But it just seemed like an extra complication to balance the fact that it is just so random and potentially game-changing. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't... Most times, there's a couple of pins scattered around and maybe one unit gets taken off, but it's not game-changing. But mm-hmm. there's those games, maybe one in ten, where you know the preliminary bombardment absolutely devastates your opponent before the first dice has been drawn. And I just don't think that's the sort of game people want to play. So I, I think in this sort of event, which is not um, super hard-nosed competitive, I just think it's better to remove that factor of randomness. Yeah, it reminds me of, I believe... It was the, your first year TOing at CanCon where I took my jungle Japanese army and I played Brian Cook in round one and I lost over half my army to a preliminary bombardment before the game even started. It was incredibly bad dice rolls, but it still felt incredibly bad. 
And yeah, Brian apologized the whole game as he just walked the rest of my army off the table. But at that point, there was just nothing I could do. Um, and when I played recently in uh, Andrew Baxter's event uh, at House of War, both games I played in had preliminary bombardment and I got hit with it in both games. And though I didn't lose anything, it just meant that my entire army went down. Oh, sorry, I didn't go down. They rallied the entire first turn. And my opponent did the same thing, which basically just, in the nicest way possible, wasted a lot of time and killed one turn of an already tight game for both games. I can understand why some people want it in the rules because some armies benefit from them. But I usually, for event play, I usually try and leave them out because they they just don't seem to add a lot to the game. I don't, maybe I'm not playing enough Italians or uh, British, <laughs> but I, I don't know. Pete, are you feeling the same way? Yeah, it just seems to be a bit too swingy. Um, and particularly as I, with my events, um, people won't be surprised by anything in the pack. I've always sort of moderated some of the rules to try and get to an even starting point so that what really matters is what happens once you start drawing dice, not not what happens either in the list building or in the preliminary bombardment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you also have no optional rules. So there will be no warplanes. No force can contain more than one artillery or air observer, preventing the old classic Dave of War dual arty observers just raining hell down on and then running through someone. <laughs> And no platoon can have more than one multi-launcher or one flamethrower. So what that means is you can have one multi-launcher and one flamethrower, just not more than one of each. Correct, yes, yeah. Now, why did you limit uh, observers and multi-launchers and flamethrowers? I, I know why, and I'm sure longtime listeners <laughs> will know in spades. But for those of us uh, who are just joining us today, or particularly for our Scottish listeners, hi, Al. Um, why have you made that decision? And, um, I might be saying, I wholly agree with it, but, uh, what's your thinking behind that? Uh, I think every TO tries to craft an event that suits their style and their approach to BA. And, um, those rules I've had probably going back a couple of CanCons ago, because as I say, kind of like what I was talking about, um, previously that, I like I like events where every no one feels that they're up against an impossible situation or uh, uh, facing a severe disadvantage, mm -hmm. and there's just some oddities in the rules that allow some cheap but good units to be taken in multiples, in, often in particular lists, which I think um, you know leads, as you like to say, to some feel bad moments and. I don't like to see those in my events. Um, as I say, I kind of want everyone to win or lose um, based on their the way they play the game on the day and the dice draws, not um, the way the lists are crafted or by leveraging particular advantages their list uh, options give them. So I've for a while moderated some of the what I think are the excesses of the game and I know some people, particularly for CanCon, thought that was a bit excessive, but as I say, I think it's up to the TO to craft an event that they're happy to TO and they enjoy TOing and exactly. um, attracts the sort of people they want to play with. Exactly. Well, let's talk about what people can earn at this event. Um, let's talk about the awards. So we have, much like a lot of Australian events, we have the Best Axis General, Best Ally General, Best Minor Power General, we have a Best Painted Award, and we have the old Hannah Swag Award, which is for Best Themed Armies. And so it really isn't sort of promoting the old podium uh, so much as people taking fun-themed lists and uh, spending some time really focusing in on the hobby of you know, building and painting a beautiful army that uh, has a nice theme list that people can bring on the day, right? Yeah, that's right. And um, I like to ensure that we get a good spread of armies. So I think having an award for each of the the best general in each of the sort of bolt action factions uh, helps make people think about 
what army they're going to take more in terms of its um, theme and uh, where it fits within the Axis allies and minor powers than just looking at um, is it a competitive list or not. So I generally uh, like to give an award across those three um, three areas. And uh, obviously I'm happy to be back with the Hanno swag because um, that's really the chance where I get to look and say that's really a cool army and um, I'd like to give you an award for it. Yeah, and I did notice there's no sportsmanship award. That is intentional, but you you have included a section of the player pack to talk about that. Can you re- reiterate what your uh, your thoughts about um, or your philosophy behind what this event should be like on the day? Yeah, um, I think um, as I've said in the past, I can't remember whether I repeated it here, but no one's playing for sheep stations. It is mainly meant to be fun. I want people to play to win, but um, in a way that uh, is also both fun for your opponent and yourself. Um, And so in terms of sportsmanship, I've never done sportsmanship scoring or awards just because my view is that um, everyone are expected to demonstrate good sportsmanship. And if if you don't, I don't necessarily want you playing in the event and I don't think you'd enjoy playing in the event anyway. So hopefully uh, by now my style and approach is pretty clear to most bolt action players in australia anyway Mm -hmm. yeah exactly well just to reiterate we are talking about wintercon and that is the 16th and 17th of july 2022 Uh, it is at epic the big game convention hall or the big convention hall in canberra it is a five-day event Uh, it is 1011 points love it and it is 45 dollars to play Uh, again please go to Bolt Alt Action, that is one word, dot com, uh, and look for the Wintercom Player Pack, and you can see everything there is to know about Wintercom, and hopefully uh, Pete will see you there. Well, Pete, speaking of events, you have been playing some Bolt Action yourself, and you played at ThirdCon in March. Now, I know that was a little while ago, but you did take a minor power nation, and I always like to hear how you do with these things, because you always like to take sort of out there lists. You were taking Romanians. Tell us a little bit about it, man. Uh, yes, well, I think the first point to make is that's all your fault, Brad, because I listened to your mm-hmm. Romanian episode last year and went, that seems like something I should do. Um, so, yes, I put together a winter Romanian army, um, mostly uh, mostly winter, a couple of other, other guys as well from various makers. But, uh, yep, threw together an army. It was about... 100 figures in the end because your Romanians are regular. Oh, um, wow. How many points? Uh, it was 1250. So this is, I think we might have spoken about this on a previous episode, but these are the local guys who run events where they've got the um, three stages. So you've mm-hmm. got two 500-point lists and a 250-point list. That's right. So you play um, you play 1250s, two games, 1,000 two games and 750 um oh, so cool. so it's a, it's a really good format i like it except for the fact that it's limited to one platoon um but uh, uh that's that's the way it goes um uh and yeah so i painted up romanians for that one um and it did quite well with them um they're a fun army to play with they're probably a bit underrated and their main advantage as i think you guys talked about is the fact that they can take that extra gun mm-hmm. as their uh, special rule a french special rule so um that's <laughs> that helped me in a number of spots but yeah no it was it was great um great playing with them well they're they're also one of those armies there's a few armies in bolt action that really shine in the one platoon format um, in that I like to take armies, I've said this before, that where you have the squads to, to get out there and, you know, achieve those objectives. Because bolt action is an objective-based game, you know, two-thirds or more percent of the missions that you often play are objective-grabbing. And so I like to have the squads to go out and do it. Romanians, because they have the ability to pull that extra squad, not only do they get the free gun... They get the ability in a single platoon list to run six squads, much like the Soviets um, and a variety of other nations, the Chinese and things like that. Um, But with the Romanians, 
you, you're not just getting a squad of chaff. You have to pay for it, but you're offset by getting the free gun, and it allows you to put quality six quality squads in an army, which in a single platoon format is nothing to be sneezed at, right? Yeah, no, I think it's um, the Romanians have got a number of things going for them. Um, so a free unit of any sort is always good. And mm -hmm. as you say, that ability to add uh, an extra unit, if that's what you if you want to do with your access special rule or something else, um, really gives them uh, a lot of flexibility. Um, and it does allow you to, I think, often overwhelm another single platoon army. So, Pete, uh, what was your additional choice in that army? Or did it change because you were allowed to change your army list? Um, well, you have to, the lists are all set and it has to ultimately add up to one platoon. So, you just kind of, uh, you don't change um, your lists partway through. You mm -hmm. have to pick them beforehand. But, Got it. Um, so, my extra unit was an extra armor um, mm. uh, and yeah, I know. Uh, one of the, a 35T actually, um, which is the earlier version of the well-known German 38T. It just looks slightly more primitive, um, and it's a great little tank and uh, a light AT. But also, uh, you do still have a coax and a hole, so you can use it for the MGs if that's what you need it for. Yeah, I, I do like those light tanks that have the, you know, the, the little AT gun, but then also have the dual MMGs that you can sort of rely on if you need them. I find doing that with my Japanese a lot is a, is a pretty good idea. Oh, that's cool, man. And you said you did well with them. Uh, any big takeaways from the event as far as um, either hot games or things that you really liked uh, the Romanians for? Uh I think the um, some of the lists I played against were really interesting because they did allow all the theater books and the selectors from the theater books, which nice. if you're only going with a one platoon, I think that's reasonable. It doesn't unbalance things too much. But um, I came up against uh, some a, a commando list from the uh, new the D-Day books. Um, mm. That was a bit of a tough nut. And in fact, that uh, uh, came an equal first with me, so I tied for first. So. Oh, wow. Congratulations, man. I didn't know that. Oh, thank you. But uh, it was a bit of a small event, so I don't want to oversell, oversell the achievement. It was, And it was very much a friendly. I mean, the, guy, the guys, as I say, um, it do this interesting format. It's very much pitched as a friendly sort of event rather than a competitive um, sort of uh, event. So mm -hmm. um, I... I, it wasn't coming first wasn't my goal it was just to go and have some fun with these <laughs> these crazy romanians yeah exactly well look I, I know that we could probably talk about bolt action all day long but there's so many games you're a man like uh, like myself who enjoys quite a few games uh from quite a few eras and quite a few companies so i thought we might take the opportunity to uh shuffle off and talk about some other things if that's cool with you Absolutely. And I think my wife refers to it as an inability to focus. <laughs> Look, I'll take that as the not compliment that I'm sure she means it and uh, apply it to myself as well. Now, you have been playing quite a lot of muskets and tomahawks, specifically one of the new expansions for that, right? Shackos and bayonets? Yeah, I've been playing muskets and tomahawks for a while. Mm -hmm. um, I played version one and then version two came out i think it's about 12 18 months ago now and that was quite good but more recently late later last year they released a napoleonic expansion that sort of moves it forward from the french and indian wars into the napoleonic period uh called shackos and bayonets so is that a because it, it is it's it's one of those games that sort of zooms in uh it isn't your typical napoleonic game where you have ten thousand models on the side and everything's ranked up uh, as from what I understand, it's a much smaller scale. Um, it's not skirmish per se, but it is smaller. So to have that for Napoleonics, I know there's a couple of games that sort of fall in that niche. But is this? Um, tell me a little bit more, because I, I I really don't feel like I know enough about this. Yeah, it's um, large scale skirmish. I mean. In many senses, it's pretty much the same scale as bolt action. So yeah. you probably have about half a dozen units of about 12 men each. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, maybe up to about 18 or down to about 12, depending on the quality of the troops. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's um, large scale skirmish. Uh, it's got a card uh, driven activation system. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes it a little bit different, but combat results are still resolved by die. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, as I say, I played the French and Indian War version for a long time, but um, the Napoleonic version, I guess, as I get older, it's that Napoleonic gene kicking in, draws <laughs> you towards those, uh, painting those colourful uniforms and mm-hmm. um, all those guys on horses and mass ranks with muskets kind of thing. And now, is this a similar scale to Sharp's practice, or is this something that's a little bit more zoomed out? Um, it's pretty close to the same scale it's probably slightly larger in that you're probably playing with slightly more units per game but it's it's very close very similar um i've played sharps practice and i don't know why i just you know you you find a game that works for you Mm -hmm. i mean they're both card driven systems in theory they should both be very similar but i just um maybe it's because my experience of muskets and tomahawks i just prefer that system to sharps practice but all in all, very similar level and very similar style of games. Nice. Nice. And, I mean, clearly you're having fun with it. Uh, How many, I mean, given that it's just sort of shifting into this period, is it sort of generic as far as the army lists go, or have they really, because I know the Napoleonic period is one of those areas where there's a lot of variety of troops and soldier types. How, How is this game sort of coping with that, or is it sort of taking one part of the war at a time? Um, very similar to bolt action. So you have a nation. So I play French and they have special rules. Um, so each of them, I think actually have, do have two special rules each. And then there's a sort of almost intermediate level of units in the sense they're not completely direct generic. There's like, they took, you know, got hussars versus line infantry versus Marines. Um, so, they do go into different unit types, but they don't go all the way down to like specific units, you know, like this is the, I don't even know what the nomenclature is for Napoleonics, but it's not like the 13th guards or whatever. It's just, this is a guards unit. Nice. Yeah. Again, it's one of those things that I definitely don't know a lot about, but it makes sense that they've genericized it, so to speak, so that you would be able to uh, encompass a wide range of troops. Um, now, you've also been playing another game that I have had many requests over the years to cover, and I just, I don't know what it is, I have not gotten to it yet, but you are enjoying the hell out of Saga, particularly the Age of Magic. Um, now, the Age of Magic is the more fantasy expansion to the game of Saga. Um, I know you've mentioned it before, but uh, tell us what you've been up to recently and tell me why I should be playing this again. Uh, why you should be playing it, it is a really different and elegant system. Um, I've played a lot of games, and most games you pick up, you go, oh, yeah, I've used this mechanic before, mm-hmm. I've seen that mechanic before. or I mean, they always do it, combine them in different ways, but you, you sort of know the basic bones, you've played them in another game before. I mean, the thing about Saga is I've just never played another game like it. It's got this battle board system, mm-hmm. Um which is a different way of managing dice resources. So a lot of games you roll dice to give yourself actions. Um, but the slight twist in Saga is you roll a dice, there's symbols on the dice, and you can combine those symbols in certain ways to give your army special abilities. So every army has basic generic abilities, like you know a unit and bolt action. They're pretty much all the same across the armies. But what makes each army different are these battle boards, and they allow you to combine these symbols in thematic ways to give your army specific advantages so um you know for example at the moment i'm playing an undead army um and so one of the things you can one of the special abilities is necromancy which not surprisingly allows you to raise some unit some of your dead soldiers um back from the dead and put them back into your unit Mm -hmm. um but they also give you attack bonuses move bonuses um and as I say, I just haven't played anything like it. It's very elegant. It's a small-scale game. Um, I had a whole bunch of figures that I picked up from a uh, Oz Kickstarter, which is um, uh, 
for sort of thematically based around the Wizard of Oz, and I've sort of turned them into an army of undead with you know, scarecrows, pumpkin-headed people, witches, um, oh, flying apes, and that sort of thing. And that's what's really great about this. They don't sell figures, so you're not locked into anything. Um, and you can uh, – there's the armies in terms of the fluff and how they describe them. It's very generic. So you've got a lot of choices about what figures you use, but each of the different themed armies plays, I guess, very thematically for what you would – so I've got undead. There's uh, dwarves, humans, um, goblins, mm-hmm. um, a whole bunch of options. And the good thing is you don't need a huge number of figures. I think probably about 40, 40, 50, maybe mm-hmm. up to 60 figures, and that's about it. And you can put yourself together a really good army. Yeah, I had some friends showing me pictures of some undead samurai the other day, and I have to say that uh, that reminded me that I actually own some of those models. Um, I picked them up from Patch a long time ago, and I pulled them out and was looking at them and thinking, oh, it'd be really nice to put these on the table, but what is going to allow me to play undead samurai? What's a, a miniature agnostic system? And you know, I was looking at Kings of War because I have that right on my shelf and Warlords of Erewhon, obviously, uh, again, on my shelf. However, um, I would need to pick up quite a few more models to make that work. But the system you're describing, I could probably go with almost what I have now, maybe get a couple of additional characters and I'd be ready to go. And that honestly sounds pretty exciting. Not to mention, even I can paint an army of that many models in less than a year (laughs) yeah i I mean absolutely it's and it's also like bolt action you've got the option of going for a very elite army so Mm -hmm. what they call their hearth guard um sort of regular army which are the warriors or a completely inexperienced type army which um can't remember what they're called but they're sort of like the peasants um and so you could actually get away with quite a small army of very elite types although there is a distinct advantage to mixing um, different types of units because like bolt action um, each unit generates a dice but uh, and as the units disappear you lose that dice but the more there is some advantages to having more dice and it is uh, the regular saga is miniature agnostic as well or is it just the age of magic no regular saga i mean there's i think i mean I think they sort of have a semi-official range, but basically they're just historical figures. So I've got in my painting queue somewhere a large Norman army um, wow. to eventually get round to painting one day. But mm-hmm. they do they do a couple of ages, like they do um, very early history um, up to the sort of Romans. It's mostly European-based Vikings, that sort of thing. Um, and the then they do sort of crusades and the Middle East and that sort of thing. And uh, Age of Magic is sort of the third option, um, which is just it's the same same core rule set. So you can play any of the games. It's just Age of Magic's got a magic system um, bolted onto it, as well as a bunch of large beastie type creatures. Nice. Now, does does that balance well? I mean, you've played regular Saga as well. Would you ever consider mixing the two, or did the addition of the big griblies and the magic system sort of skew the game enough that you wouldn't want to mix it necessarily? Yeah, no, you'd play within one sort of book. So you'd either play Age of Magic against other Age of Magic armies or um, Dark Ages against other Dark Ages army or Crusades against Crusade armies. Um, I think the historical ones may balance against each other. I haven't actually tried it, but the Age of Magic, same core rules, but just the magic system is makes it work slightly differently and is probably not going to balance with a fully historical army. Mm. You're striking my fancy. <laughs> um, historical I, armies don't like fireballs thrown at them. No, they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> um, actually, speaking of miniature agnostic fantasy games, I actually am playing a game of Oathmark this weekend, and I, I played a game of it over Christmas, and I'm going to be playing um, our friend John again tomorrow, or not tomorrow, uh, this weekend. And I'm very excited to do it. Um, I really enjoyed the last time we played. It really gave me some of that those old Warhammer feels, mainly because I think we're both playing with <laughs> ancient Warhammer fantasy armies. And when I say ancient, his are from the 1980s. 
um, that he's been, you know, buying people's painted, uh, what is it, third, second ed, uh, or third ed orcs uh, from Games Workshop a million years ago, stripping them and repainting them. Uh, and so since the last time we've played, he's re he's painted up a ton of new units, and he's super keen to put it on the tabletop, and I may be playing with my same old sad Warriors of Chaos army um, that I always do, but it will be exciting. I might mix in some dwarves. One of the cool things about Oathmark is um, the army building mechanics is really clever. You are able to choose the unit types that match the territories in your kingdom because it's meant to be played in a narrative way. Um, you, you have a kingdom, you sort of create your kingdom and that guides what's in your army. Uh, for, you know, for pickup games, it works as well. It's just a little bit more loose. Um, and, it, you know, we're going to enjoy a game of pickup, you know, casual narrative play. So it's not like it's going to be trying to uh, min-max it to kick each other's teeth in. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited. I think I'm going to get my old Chaos Dwarves out and put them with my regular Chaos Marauders and call them an army of man with dwarf friends and... Yeah, see where we end up. Um, I really enjoyed it the last time we played. And God, I really need to reread that rule book because I was thinking, oh yeah, I know how this works. And then I actually tried to think of how it works and went, I should probably listen to the episode where I talked about this episode, this game, because I don't think I remember how the basic mechanics work anymore. But they're really clever. That's all I remember um, in that it's, you roll dice um, and it's, the difference is how combat res works. And uh, I remember being really impressed with it, and I'm looking forward to being impressed with it again because I don't remember. But yeah, yeah well, it's, it's a good friend, Joe McCullough. Isn't it, it is. Yeah. Which ties to you've been working with another Joseph McCullough game. Um, you've been messing around with Silver Bayonets. Um, have you finished the stuff? Because I know that you've been looking at uh, building quite a few figures and beasties for that game. Absolutely. I'm a bit under the gun because um, uh, some local guys are holding a uh, Waterloo Day event where they're going to be playing um, proper Napoleonics, um, and I'm going to be off in my own little corner uh, with a friend doing some demo games of Silver Bayonet nice. just to show that Napoleonics can be fun. <laughs> Ouch! Zing! Wow, throwing some serious shade tonight, Pete. Um, I love it. Uh, but one of the cool things about Silver Bayonet, I mean, I really like the rules, and I embarrassingly have a British warband uh, for that, and I got a unit of British soldiers from Artisan to match, so I have all the red coats. I just need to paint the darn things. Um, and I know our buddy Pedro also has picked it up and painted it. I think Mark has as well. So I think I got some good local players. I just need to sit down and paint them. But uh, that is my problem with a lot of games. Um, how many beasts have you painted up? Because one of the things that I took away from reading the book is that like Oathmark, like... Stargrave, there's a lot of sort of random encounters, but it seemed like Silver Bayonet had more if I was reading it properly, but I haven't put it on the tabletop to know. Yeah, um, I think that I think that's true in the sense that there's more chance of generating a random encounter yeah. during a Silver Bayonet scenario um, than there is in, say, Stargrave, which is the other one I play a lot. But um, I think I'm just looking right over at my painting table now, and I think that there's about 20 different beasts I got to paint. I'm just, I've just finished off the last of the specialists, so I picked up the North Star French box mm -hmm. and I painted out the specialists, and I'll take some of my Napoleonic French infantry. Um, and yeah, I've been collecting the beastery, and so there's about 20 undercoated figures staring at me. They've got to be painted before Waterloo Day on the 18th. Wait, the 18th of this month? Yes, indeed. Oh, good luck, Pete. <laughs> I'll be lucky to paint one model before the 18th, uh, let alone that many. Um, but that isn't your only painting project. You sent me pictures of a le an army that seems to be made up of a legion of models that I am astonished that you are going to be painting 
Uh, tell us a little bit about the special naval landing force for the Japanese. Yeah, so the guys who run ran Third Con, the locals, um, are putting on an event around the Battle of Isarava um, because it turns out that uh, a local author actually has written a book on Isarava and mm -hmm. he's sort of helping us put together this event, which will be happening in late August. Um, so uh, they need some Japanese players. So, sorry, for those who don't know, the Battle of Isarava is the major battle fought immediately after the battle for Kokoda. So after the Japanese landed and pushed the Australians out of Kokoda, they retreated to Isarava, um, which was uh, the next major battle along the Kokoda Trail. And it was seen as quite an important battle because the outnumbered Australians, although they eventually um, had to retreat, and so I guess technically lost the battle, they held up the Japanese for quite some time, which was really critical to building up the forces um, in PNG and ultimately stopping the Japanese. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm one of the Japanese players um, and I've uh, got my special naval landing force figures all undercoated and I last count there's about 120 of them. Yeah. Um, the thing about the Battle of Isarava is there is absolutely no armour whatsoever and the heaviest gun is a light mountain gun. So... Yeah. <laughs> So I need some infantry. <laughs> yeah, you need a lot of infantry, Pete. Um, now, how are you going to do this? Um, I know there's been a lot of talk recently of the new Army Painter speed paints being excellent, and I know some people love their contrast paints. Uh, I also know that Army Dipping's uh, a thing. Um, I'm only assuming you're not hand-highlighting 120 models before then, plus all the other stuff you're doing, um, unless you're inhuman and... I don't understand. <laughs> no, I'm no patch. Um, <laughs> okay. Wait, you haven't so, painted an army while we've been talking? No, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, so, look, I've tried the I've tried the contrast paints, and I, I've used them for once or twice, but I just can't get enough control out of them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but equally, I'm not I'm not a sophisticated painter. I'm sort of a, a block and dip sort of guy. So. Um, I'll do it the old-fashioned way and just uh, power through it. Fortunately, as is, they're all SNLF. They're all going to be painted the same. So mm -hmm. I'm going to start at number one, start with the boots on number one and paint all the way through to the boots on number tw 120 yeah. and then go back and do the gaiters. And so <laughs> if, uh, my, if my hope is that if I just uh, keep slogging away at it, um, I will get everything done before the end of uh, August. Well, I'm working on something for the end of August as well, um, which I'm sure I'll talk about on the podcast at some point, but I'm kind of keeping under my hat at the moment. Um, and I'm painting up a bunch of Marines for it, U.S. Marines. Uh, unfortunately, work has gotten in the way in a big way, and I haven't been able to get where I needed to go. Um, but I did use the contrast paints for the basic Marines uniforms. I wanted that dirty, faded look. Um, that, you know, Marines in the field in the Pacific may have achieved um, that you can see in tons of different photos if you look back at the Pacific. And so I used the contrast paint, the Astra Militarum contrast paint, and then I dry brushed it up um, the Nurgling color from GW. And then I went back and um, got all the crevices that I dry brushed over because I did it in a hurry um, by just putting another thin line of Astra Militarum in the grooves that needed it and mate i was super happy with the effect i think it looks really good and i put a few highlights here and there just to tighten it up uh, i've also then now painted all the boots all the gaiters all the pouches and all the skin i need to wash and highlight those because um, i'm going to paint those more traditionally but the thing that has just ground me to a stop was besides work i started painting the rifles and for some reason, I find that soul-destroying. And so I need to find my mojo again shortly and get back to painting uh, because I really want to have that army done by the end of August. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with how it's looking right now, uh, but I really need to finish it. So contrast paints, look, I'm, I'm, I'm slowly coming around to them. Uh, I'm, I'm figuring out a, a way to use them. I don't think they... Well, at least I don't like the effect of just slapping them on and calling it done. Um, but I think they're an excellent tool. Uh, and I think that you get some good effects with them. 
Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I don't, I don't use them for, so I guess, primary painting, but I've increasingly been using them as essentially as a wash over the um, yeah. block paintings, and that they come out really nicely. Um, so I, I quite like them for that purpose. Now, Pete, I want to talk to you about maybe having a small intervention um, because you're talking about painting that many models before the end of August, and you're also talking about painting possibly as many models for CanCon. With a different army, Pete. Do we need to sit down and talk about this? Uh, yes, we do. <laughs> At least if you listen to my wife. Um, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've started thinking about CanCon. Um, I guess I didn't want to get caught short, is the way I'd put it. I'm, there's a there's a long road to go until CanCon, and who knows what may happen whether I show up mm-hmm. on uh, CanCon day or not. But um, I actually, it was one of those things, and you know me, I'm easily influenced. Um, this was just looking at some World War II uh, videos actually on YouTube, and I came across this Italian propaganda film from uh, Operation Compass, which was one of the very early battles in Africa. Um, and it was just this great parade of Italian vehicles charging forward and guns pounding mm-hmm. away, and um, I went, I think I need to do Italians. Yeah. Um, and there's been some really great uh, STL releases too recently for the Italians. Um, so I've printed a couple of those off. I've bought a box of the new plastics uh, from Warlord. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got some Ascari from uh, Empress Miniatures. So, yeah, That's I think so uh, right? it will sort of be an early early war Italian colonial army. And I've, so I've even got some captured French armored cars, which they took off the French when mm-hmm. um, they overran the Vichy parts of Africa. So I think it, I think it should look quite funky and I'm looking forward to painting those guys up. Are the armored cars, the Laflies? They are a Laflie and I'm just trying to remember the version, but they're quite boxy and they've got a single dome MMG on the mm-hmm. top. They're completely enclosed. Um, yeah. I can't remember. I think it's 15 Laflie, 15 TOE or something like that. They look super cool. I know a few people around here have been um, putting together some Laflies for different forces. Um, although I think they've all been using the Mad Bob Laflies, which um, don't have the dome but do have the boxy. Yes. Um, they look super good. Well, Mad Bob stuff always looks great. <laughs> yeah, and he's just put out some new trucks too um, for the Eastern Front, and I'm fighting the urge to buy more trucks for bolt action. <laughs> You can never have too many trucks in bolt action. Oh God, don't don't remind me. Don't say those words. I'll end up with more trucks. Every time I open a box, it's more trucks. Anyway, um, <laughs> I guess the uh, what's the expression? Keep on trucking. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, just as far as other events that you are sort of building towards, obviously you said June eighteenth, Waterloo anniversary. Going to be doing some of the uh, silver bayonet demos. Obviously, you're going to be TOing the Bolt Action event at WinterCon. Clearly, we just talked about that. Now, you might be coming to town for that secret thing that I was talking about in August, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, coming up. Um, and in late August, you are doing the uh, fourth con. Is a Isarava game, yeah. Thank you. So that'll be what all those Japanese need to be finished for. But it should be really interesting in the sense that um, I'm looking forward, as I say, hopefully the author of this book on Isarava is going to come along and um, give us a, um, uh, thoughts about the battle and how we can play it out um, in the in the game of Bolt Action. So um, it should be really good and obviously very thematic army. So obviously I'm painting up Japanese mm-hmm. and there's a couple of other people doing Japanese and there'll be a number of Aussie armies there. So really looking forward to this. And... I think the guys in Sydney are doing a parallel event where they're doing one of the other battles um, of that campaign. So, well, I don't think they're directly linked, but um, it's it's going to be a sort of the two events will be in conversation with each other, if I can put it that way. That's awesome, man. I love it when there are interstate or intercountry events where that, you know, link and people can, you know, talk sass. And it's funny how, uh, you know, certain results will skew one way in one place and skew another way in another. And it sort of evens it out. I, I, I really enjoy those. They're great. 
Yeah, no, the guys have gone to a lot of trouble organising this and um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the results go, whether the Japanese... Uh, can uh, the historical results are the same for the Japanese or whether we get pushed back down the Kokoda Trail? Oh, it's too bad we don't have that happening in Melbourne as well. It would be cool. Although, um, I don't know. Oh, I guess Pedro plays Australian. I was like, I don't know many Australian players down here. But um, he does, and I have all the Japanese armies. Might have to see if he can come on down and maybe he and I can recreate it on our own. Um, but Pete, I mean, I know that these are all the things that you're working towards. And we've talked about what's on your painting table, but I think you and I are both really interested in a couple of things that are either just come out fairly recently or are additionally going to be coming out very soon. Um, let's talk about Black Sight Studios. Now, I have talked about um, Don't Look Back quite a few times, both with the author and with friends who I've played the game with. Um, Violent Dark, and I've spoken to a different author uh, for the game Lunar. Now, you are interested in Lunar. Uh, I know that you've got some stuff. Did you see recently that they've restructured their website and now shipping to Australia is not extortionate? It's not cheap, but it's also not what it was before, which made buying Black Site Studio games untenable at, at times. Um, now I'm really excited to to be able to look at that catalog again and say, yes, yes, I want more of that, please. <laughs> and uh, I don't have to buy it in bulk. But speaking of buying bulk, you got in on Lunar. Have you had a chance to play yet? Because I've having played a ton of their games recently, my interest in Lunar has gone through the roof. Yeah, well, my interest was so strong, I actually uh, went in all in on their um, initial release, and oh, so dis cool. despite the shipping cost to Australia, and that included like this MDF space base. So mm -hmm. let me tell you, the shipping was not cheap. Mm. Um, but I'm really interested. But it's just you know those games you go, oh, I really want to play this, but mm -hmm. how am I going to? There isn't someone standing right in front of you saying, I want to play this game too. So. There's a couple of guys in Sydney I've um, heard from who are interested and uh, maybe coming through Canberra. So I'm hoping that we can organise some lunar. And I guess I've just got to find a gap in that um, ridiculous painting schedule we talked say. about. So, <laughs> I mean, it's only half, literally only half a dozen um, guys. And I must admit, one of the armies I have fully painted in contrast paints uh, is one of the one of the sides in spacesuits so brilliant um that's really quick but yeah now i've just got to finish off the rest of them and um find someone to play with and i don't know whether you saw brad but recently they've released a new um, expansion to the mm -hmm. game which allows you to um, fight indoors so i'm looking forward to that i had one of those brain fades last month where i actually missed the, the pre-order for that so i'm now hanging out for it to um, drop yeah i had that experience with car wars um i did couldn't afford it when it hit kickstarter and i just couldn't get it and was very sad uh and then i have they've just put it in the web store finally um after all this time and apparently i guess not everyone in australia has gotten their kickstarter i don't think they've shipped it here yet but it's now in the shop, so I might be able to get it before some people who pre-ordered it on the Kickstarter, which I feel really bad about. But I'm really excited to pick up the Car Wars 6th Edition game, given that it was one of my you know, romantic favorites and was one of the games that truly got me into gaming as a kid. And again, I'm positive I was playing it wrong back then. But it's been streamlined down something fierce, apparently, and uh, plays like a modern game. And the idea of taking that universe and putting it into a modern game system has me licking my chops, so to speak. I, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I, I, I have it in the mail. I'm counting the days. Uh, I'm also counting the days till uh, uh, War and Peace are able to deliver the Masters of the Universe game. Um, there were shipping issues um, across the world the game is not being sold. Ma uh, Masters of the Universe Battleground, the skirmish uh, He-Man game, is not being sold outside of Europe, theoretically. Although Northstar was selling it outside of 
the outside of Europe. And so I ordered it, pre-ordered it the second I saw they were selling it. And um, uh, they contacted me to say, unfortunately, uh, given the size and the weight of the box, which is a good sign because it's a chalker block full of good stuff, uh, that they wouldn't be able to ship it to me for uh, – they, they told me what it would cost to ship. And they said, look, we, if we could make it any cheaper, we would. And, I look, I really appreciate it. They offered to refund me, which I took them up on. But then they also said they have a shipping agreement with War and Peace Games so that maybe they could ship some down here. War and Peace Games now have it for pre-order up on their website, um, and they're getting it from North Star, and they're going to sell it here. So uh, at some point in the next 100 years, I'm hoping I will be able to play that game as well. But, yeah. are you, You're not a yes. He-Man guy, are you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, it was on just after G.I. Joe. I'm of course just I saying, am. right? <laughs> That's how I got so, it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, I saw it's up on pre-order, and oh, I, I, my finger has hovered over that button mm-hmm. um, on more than one occasion. But um, uh, like, uh, I don't know whether you went in, but there was that Simon um, He-Man game, Master of the Universe game on Kickstarter mm-hmm. about, uh, about 12 months ago now, and... I went all in on that, including a very large Castle Skull. So I'm just thinking, uh, do I need another set of He-Man figures? Um, the rules look interesting, they but do. I think I will I will have to let you uh, dip your toe in first and let me know how good it is. And um, mm-hmm. if it is good, what's a bit of duplication between friends? Right, right. Well, I was going to say, I could come play your game and you can come play mine. And we can have <laughs> a... A Masters of the Universe kind of weekend. It'll be great. I'm, I'm all in for that. Yes. Well, we also need to play some G.I. Joe games. Um, but speaking of commando raiding games um, and me wanting to hard pour G.I. Joe into this game system before it even comes out, let's talk about 0200 Hours. Now, I've done a whole episode of Cast Ice on it, and I cannot wait for this game to come out. It looks awesome. It looks so good. Uh, I think that um, Graham over at Gray for Now Games has knocked it out of the park. Uh, I have the rules. I have a bunch of the cards. Um, you were able to, if you um, signed up for the newsletter, you're able to get a free download of the rules. Um, they, it looks really nice, and yeah, the it, the models that are coming with it look great too. Oh, Pete, I know you're excited for this as well. Uh, yes, uh, I haven't been this excited for a game in a long time. This right? comes from someone who buys almost every game that comes along. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I've gone all in for zero two hundred hours um, and got everything they're going to release in the first wave. Um, it's just it's the game that, that grabs your imagination because it allows you to game pretty much all the war, World War Two movies that mm-hmm. I love. So, Guns of Navarone, Force Ten from Navarone, Thank you. Where Eagles Dare. Yes. Um, these are all the movies that I watch again and again, and the chance to um, play them on the table just has me beyond excited. Right. Oh, I can't, I cannot wait. And uh, I, I may, I may, just maybe own an airport now, uh, terminal hangars, and I have uh, some 3D printed Cobra Night Ravens, uh, assorted other vehicles like helicopters and fuel bowsers and whatnot and uh the gi joe team infiltrating a cobra uh airstrip on cobra island to achieve some sort of mission i i i'm just saying it's gonna happen i can't wait it's gonna happen don't know when have a lot of uh terrain to build before then but uh, as soon as i get the game that i think might be one of my first missions cannot wait yeah i must admit when it told me that i just it like opened unlocked something in my mind and mm-hmm. i've been thinking about all of these things so um off the back of the recent um uh kickstarter from 7tv mm-hmm. um, i've ordered myself a number of extra v figures yes um and some human resistance figures so mm-hmm. you know human resistance trying to get into a v base um, it's another scenario I'm keen to do. My brother from another mother, I would love to say that I hadn't had that same idea, but I do have the fully painted V uh, Visitor Force ready to go, and I also got the Resistance Fighters um, that I also need to paint. So, uh, yes, I will be 
I got man that Ham Tyler, the Michael Ironsides model. Oh yeah, it's a great with sculpt, the Mac Ten. <laughs> Forget about it. I opened the 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 box and just swooned. It's uh, it's it's pretty pathetic how excited I am about that. But yes, that also has to happen. Ugh. So many opportunities for this game, right? Yeah, it's uh, as I say, I just haven't been this excited in a long time, and I must admit, um, I'm I'm hoping, uh, I'm sure it will. I loved, I liked Grey Finale's, um previous Samurai game, mm-hmm. and just didn't get much local traction. But I loved the rules, and so yeah. I'm very confident about um, this game, and uh, I'm hoping that uh, I might be able to organise some uh, local events and uh, maybe even some bigger events to give it a bit of, bit of a run with a number of people. Exactly right. Now, I've been building up bolt-action terrain for a while now in preparation for Easter Front last year and then, of course, Operation Bear later this year. And I have a lot of terrain I have both built and I'm about to build. And being able to take that terrain and all my bolt-action armies and to be able to play out commando missions or you know, whatever World War II mission, plus all the other insane IP bending ideas that you and I have for this game. I, man, I can't wait. I'm, I, it's like, you know, how many times do you, or you, do you get excited about a game because it really taps into something that either you're nostalgic for or something that you're passionate about, but then you realize that you have to paint up all the terrain and multiple armies worth of models in order to get someone to play with sometimes. And it can be really hard. Um, even if you have someone else who's excited and you split the terrain, you have to paint an entire army of these things. And if you're a slow painter, look, or you have 10,000 projects to paint, that can be difficult. But to have a game that so closely aligns with things that you and I and many listeners for this show already have everything of in spades, that's amazing, right? Of course, the great irony is even though I have everything I could possibly need to play it in virtually every theatre of the war, um, <laughs> I have actually gone out and ordered some pulp uh, figures for uh, to add into the game because they mm-hmm. make some really great um, cartoonish Germans and yes. mad scientists and that sort of thing. So I had to pick up some of those. Of course you did. Um, I said this having ordered a scientist myself. So, yes. I am in the same boat entirely. But, man, I think you and I are both so excited about so many things, Pete. Um, We could probably talk all day. But uh, I think you and I should probably start to wrap this up. Um, Otherwise, we will be talking all night. But, brother, it is always a pleasure. Uh, Just for those, just recap to where we were earlier this episode. The 16th and the 17th of July, WinterCon. Pete's running it. You should go if you're anywhere nearby, or even if you're not, get on an airplane. Um, I will just happen to be on the other side of the planet, so I will not be able to make it. Otherwise, I would be there. It is going to be great. Um, Pete, again, boltaltaction.com is the website if you would like to find out more information about the player pack. And, of course, that has the information of where to register as well, right? Absolutely. Um, All on that website there, along with all the other bolt action goodies I have loaded onto there. And um, I try and keep a bit of a running blog of bolt action related news there as well. Yeah, man, I love going to that website. There's always so many good tidbits and STL files that I have to ask someone to go print for me. And just, yeah, it's it's one of those websites I like I really enjoy going to look at but I'm kind of afraid to go to look at because I always know there's something cool that I'm like, oh, God, there's so much good stuff. So if you have not checked out Bolt Alt Action, guys, you should do that. That's B-O-L-T-A-L-T Action, A-C-T-I-O-N. So, Pete, thank you again for coming on, brother. It's always a pleasure to talk shop, and I'm hoping that we catch up for a game one of these days because you and I always talk about it. Uh, We shan't talk about it, but that is definitely going to happen very soon. Yes. Yes. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. (laughs) 
I guess uh, before I let the cat out of the bag, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to Cast Ice. It is always a pleasure to talk shop, and I'm so glad you tuned in to uh, hear Pete and I uh, wax reflective. Uh, but please, if you have any suggestions for the show, I know we've had a few coming in recently. Uh, please reach out. Go to the Cast Ice Facebook page, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. Uh, message the page, your guaranteed response by me. My name is Brad. Hi. Uh, and we love to hear that either you enjoy what we're doing or uh, suggestions for future shows because we do like to give you what you want. Pete, don't say Saga, Saga, Age of Magic again. I'm going to end up buying it. Anyway, <laughs> on that note, um, before I hit the buy button, I think it's time for what my buddy Casey always says. When you're playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Ice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. Gone and the track of hungry hounds of movies gone and the